Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's May 17th, 2017. White House counsel Don McGahn is in the Oval Office with the president. McGahn's job is to represent the office of the presidency, which isn't quite the same as representing the president personally. It's a delicate line to walk, and Trump hasn't made the job any easier. McGahn is supposed to act as the point of contact between the White House and the Department of Justice to ensure all the rules are being followed. But the president's made clear he's not interested in following the rules. Trump has already fired his FBI director. That's why McGahn is in the Oval that morning. They need to interview a new nominee for the position. Attorney General Jeff Sessions is there, too. Sessions interrupts the meeting. He has an urgent phone call from the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein, so he steps outside to take it. Sessions returns a moment later and relays the message. Rosenstein has appointed a special counsel to oversee the Russia investigation. It's the former FBI director, Robert Mueller. Trump slumps back in his chair. He says, oh my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. This is The Report, Episode 11, A Special Counsel. We begin Volume 2 with a description of Rod Rosenstein's decision to appoint Robert Mueller as special counsel to conduct the Russia investigation. That decision took place in the chaotic days following the firing of Jim Comey and the revelation that the president had asked Comey to let Michael Flynn go. This episode is about the president's reaction and response to Mueller's appointment his efforts to remove the special counsel, and his attempts to curtail Mueller's investigation. Upon learning that Mueller has been appointed special counsel, the president says it's the end of his presidency. And then he begins to direct his rage at Sessions. After all, it's Sessions' recusal that's gotten him into this mess. Here's how the Mueller report describes the scene. As always, the report is being read or paraphrased by Benjamin Wittes. The president became angry and lambasted the attorney general for his decision to recuse from the investigation, stating, How could you let this happen, Jeff? The president said the position of attorney general was his most important appointment and that Sessions had, quote, let him down, unquote, contrasting him to Eric Holder and Robert Kennedy. Sessions recalled that the president said to him, quote, you were supposed to protect me, unquote, or words to that effect. The president returned to the consequences of the appointment and said, quote, everyone tells me if you get one of these independent councils, it ruins your presidency. It takes years and years and I won't be able to do anything. This is the worst thing that ever happened to me. Here's Matt Zapatowski of The Washington Post. 
Trump learns of Mueller's appointment because Sessions happens to just be over at the White House. Uh, Rod Rosenstein calls Sessions and says, hey, I've just appointed Robert Mueller. Sessions goes in and tells the president, and the president just blows up. You know, this is a disaster. He blames it personally on Sessions. Forget that Rod Rosenstein is the guy who appointed him. He's tracing this back to the recusal, sort of delivers a profanity-laced tirade about the effect this is going to have on his presidency. The president then told Sessions he should resign as attorney general. Sessions agreed to submit his resignation and left the Oval Office. Here's Mike Schmidt of The New York Times. Trump recognized the severity of it immediately and said, I'm fucked. And has this showdown with Sessions in which he basically gets Sessions to resign. Sessions essentially quits. And Trump is blaming Sessions for the appointment of Mueller because Sessions has recused himself from the Russia investigation and Trump thinks that the recusal is the original sin here that puts them on the path to that. And Trump clearly is keying in on the most important thing here. He clearly gets the chain of events that got him to this and the problems that a special counsel could bring and how if it starts looking at one thing, it could end up looking at another and how it really could weigh down a presidency. He ends up asking for Sessions to resign, and it, not just that once, but sort of multiple times. That moment when Mueller is appointed, you know, post-recusal, Trump just really blames Sessions for everything that, that would come to happen, and particularly Mueller's appointment. It's difficult to overstate how upset the president is at the prospect of a special counsel investigation. Hope Hicks saw the president shortly after Sessions departed and described the president as being extremely upset by the special counsel's appointment. Hicks said she had only seen the president like that one other time when the Access Hollywood tape came out during the campaign. Meanwhile, the investigation is ramping up, and the White House is instructed not to destroy any relevant documents. The next day, May 18, 2017, FBI agents delivered to McGahn a preservation notice that discussed an investigation related to Comey's termination and directed the White House to preserve all relevant documents. That same day, Sessions offers his resignation. On May 18th, Sessions finalized a resignation letter that stated, quote, Pursuant to our conversation of yesterday and at your request, I hereby offer my resignation, unquote. Sessions brought the letter to the White House and handed it to the president. The president put the resignation letter in his pocket and asked Sessions several times whether he wanted to continue serving as attorney general. Sessions ultimately told the president he wanted to stay, but it was up to the president. The president said he wanted Sessions to stay. At the conclusion of the meeting, the president shook Sessions' hand, but did not return the resignation letter. I think nobody in Trump's orbit actually wanted Sessions to resign. But ultimately, Sessions does what he's asked, and he gives the president a letter. By that time, the president is a little calmer, and he just pockets the thing. But now this is kind of remarkable, right? The president is walking around with this leverage on his attorney general. Like at any moment, he can pull out this resignation letter and all of his advisors realize that is just a poisonous situation. That's not how the president-attorney general relationship can work. At least President Trump has to accept this or reject this. So they kind of desperately try to give him to give this thing up. White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus and Chief Strategist Steve Bannon 
are concerned about the president holding on to the resignation letter. They think it looks like Trump has leverage over DOJ, which he can use as a, quote, shock collar anytime he wants. The president keeps Sessions' resignation letter for 11 days. On May 19, 2017, the president left for a trip to the Middle East. Hicks recalled that on the president's flight from Saudi Arabia to Tel Aviv, the president pulled Sessions' resignation letter from his pocket, showed it to a group of senior advisors, and asked them what he should do about it. It was not until May 30th, three days after the president returned from the trip, that the president returned the letter to Sessions with a notation saying, not accepted. Eventually, he does return it with just a handwritten note that says, not accepted, though it's not as if that resolves the matter. I mean, later on, Sessions will actually be walking around with a resignation letter that he has penned because he never knows when the axe might fall. So even though that leverage literally in Trump's pocket is gone, Sessions knows in the back of his mind, any day could be my last. Mueller paints extraordinarily detailed scenes about what's happening in the White House at the time. It's worth pausing for a moment to explain how it is that Mueller knows so much about what's going on inside the Oval Office. The answer is the White House counsel, Don McGahn, tells him all about it. The New York Times reporting today that White House counsel Don McGahn has given three voluntary interviews to investigators totaling around 30 hours in all. Here's Mike Schmidt. McGahn's cooperation dates back to a decision that's made by the president, John Dowd, and Ty Cobb in the summer of 2017. Mueller has just been appointed. The president has hired Dowd and Cobb to be his lawyers on this issue. And Cobb and Dowd have sold the president on a strategy of cooperation. And the sooner they cooperate, the sooner the investigation will be over and that this will be a quick thing. Off the bat, Mueller wants to talk to the people closest to the president, the lawyers in the counsel's office, including McGahn. It was a highly unusual thing because most presidents have sort of fought to stop their lawyers from speaking with investigators. And right off the bat, you had Trump handing McGahn over. McGahn becomes suspicious. Why are the president's personal lawyers encouraging him to talk so much with Mueller? McGahn is very skeptical of why they're doing this. Why is it that he's allowing him to speak with Mueller? Trump obviously knew all the different things that had gone on between them. Here you had the White House allowing McGahn to open up to this investigator who's looking at the question of obstruction and an investigator who had an enormous amount of political pressure on him to really get to the bottom of whether Trump had obstructed justice. McGahn thinks he may be getting set up by Dowd and Cobb here to maybe take the fall. He, he doesn't understand it. So McGahn does exactly as instructed when he sits down with Mueller for a series of interviews. He fully cooperates. And when he goes in in the fall of 2017 is a very cooperative witness and 
essentially becomes Mueller's narrator in volume two. And because he was so close to the president and because Mueller had so much access to him is really used to tell the story of obstruction. And over hours and hours, we reported that it was 30 hours that McGahn had spent with Mueller's team, which for if you talk to former White House counsels or white collar legal defense folks, they would say is just an extraordinary amount of access to someone who is a lawyer and the president was confiding in for legal advice. McGahn's cooperation is a critical part of volume two of the Mueller report. In a sense, we see the story of obstruction of justice through the eyes of the White House counsel. None of this is good for McGahn's relationship with his boss, which was rocky from the very beginning. Here's Bob Bauer, who served as White House counsel under President Obama. I would say it is unprecedentedly dysfunctional if you take a certain view of what kind of relationship the president should have with the White House counsel. And that relationship, the one the president should have, is not the president's relationship with Don McGahn. They apparently had some significant set-tos in the Oval Office, or at least in some conversations between the two of them. And then there is the history of his cooperation with the special counsel's office, which reportedly involved over 30 hours of testimony. What you take away from all of that was it was a very conflicted relationship. So what is the story that McGahn and others tell to Mueller? What's happening in those early days following Mueller's appointment? Recall that the president believes the special counsel could be, quote, the end of his presidency. Trump's worried, so he begins trying to undermine Mueller's credibility. But it isn't going to be easy. It's no accident that the person Rosenstein has chosen is the former FBI director. Rosenstein needs a special counsel who can preserve the credibility of the Justice Department in a divisive time. And Robert Mueller's reputation stands for itself. He is a decorated, wounded Vietnam veteran who left the Marine Corps with a bronze star and a purple heart. He went on to Princeton, got a master's at NYU, a law degree at UVA. Only J. Edgar Hoover ran the FBI longer than Robert Mueller. And even Republicans in Congress supported the choice. Here are Senators Ted Cruz and Patrick Toomey. I think appointing a special counsel was necessary, uh, but if one was going to be appointed, I think Bob Mueller is an excellent choice. Well, my opinion of Bob uh, Mueller is that he's terrific, uh, completely uh, unimpeachable in all respects and widely recognized as such by everybody. John Barrett is a law professor at St. John's University who served as an associate counsel in the Iran-Contra investigation. He says Rosenstein was smart to pick someone like Mueller. And he turned to, I think very correctly, probably the most illustrious, experienced, nonpartisan capable figure, which is Robert Mueller, former U.S. attorney in two jurisdictions, former head of the criminal division, former head of the FBI, uh, and, you know, in Washington and available and willing to take on the job. So that's the context that led to the appointment. Mueller's reputation is ironclad, so the president has to grasp at straws to find a reason to get him off the case. Trump ends up settling on three stories about Mueller's alleged conflicts of interest. Here's Schmidt again. So Trump had three arguments for why Mueller could not oversee the investigation. The first was that he had had a dispute at his golf course many years earlier where Mueller had been a member and he had left 
the country club. There had been a question about whether he had gotten his initial money that he paid to join back. The second was that Mueller worked for Wilmer Hale before he became special counsel, and that was the same law firm that had represented Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort. And the third thing was that Mueller had, in Trump's eyes, or Trump would say, interviewed to be the FBI director the day before he was appointed. That was not true that Mueller did not interview to be the FBI director, that he was there to meet with the president, provide some advice about how to fill and deal with that position. Trump's own advisors are telling him there's nothing to these conflicts. Bannon tells the president that trying to use the golf course dispute is, quote, ridiculous and petty. And the Justice Department formally clears Mueller of any conflicts of interest. On May 23, 2017, the Department of Justice announced that ethics officials had determined that the special counsel's prior law firm position did not bar his service, generating media reports that Mueller had been cleared to serve. But the president is undeterred. He's determined to find a pretext to justify firing Mueller, and he wants McGahn to push the issue, too. McGahn recalled that around the same time, the president complained about the asserted conflicts and prodded McGahn to reach out to Rosenstein about the issue. But McGahn isn't interested. McGahn told the president that he would not call Rosenstein and that he would suggest that the president not make such a call either. McGahn advised that the president could discuss the issue with his personal attorney, but it would look like still trying to meddle in the investigation and knocking out Mueller would be another fact used to claim obstruction of justice. McGahn is warning the president that his attacks on Mueller could be perceived as constituting a crime. And McGahn knows that the president already has enough problems on his plate regarding obstruction. McGahn told the president that his biggest exposure was not his act of firing Comey, but his other contacts and calls and his ask regarding Flynn. There had been widespread reporting on the president's request for Comey's loyalty, which the president publicly denied. His request that Comey let Flynn go, which the president also denied and the president's statement to the Russian foreign minister that the termination of Comey had relieved great pressure related to Russia. In the meantime, the Senate Intelligence Committee is investigating Russian interference in the 2016 election, and it wants to hear directly from Comey. The Senate Intelligence Committee initially wanted to talk to Comey in a classified session after his firing, and he said no. He wanted to do it in an open session, and there were a lot of questions about whether or not Comey would be able to come in an open session in a public hearing, but clearly here, Comey has made the decision after negotiations, those conversations that occurred with President Trump, where he allegedly said that uh, he should drop the investigation into Michael Flynn. On June 8, 2017, Comey testified before Congress about his interactions with the president before his termination, including the request for loyalty, the request that Comey let Flynn go, and the request that Comey lift the cloud over the presidency caused by the ongoing investigation. Comey's testimony led to a series of news reports about whether the president had obstructed justice. There is a criminal investigation going on of one of the president's top associates, his former national security advisor, one of the most ha handful of most important people in the in the government. 
He gets fired. He's under criminal investigation. And the president brings in the FBI director and says, please stop your investigation. Right. If that is an obstruction of justice, I don't know what is. On June 9th, 2017, the special counsel's office informed the White House counsel's office that investigators intended to interview intelligence community officials who had allegedly been asked by the president to push back against the Russia investigation. President Trump can see that the investigation that started looking at his campaign is now moving closer to his own conduct as president, and he wants it to stop. Here's John Barrett again. During the course of Mueller's investigation, uh, there are episodes that we know of from Mueller's report where the president spoke about uh, and directed subordinates to communicate messages or to be part of efforts to get Mueller's uh, investigation to stop, to fire Mueller or to to wrap it up. Um, And those become known to Mueller and new areas of investigation because those are possible obstruction of justice episodes involving the president. On June 12, 2017, Priebus and Bannon meet with an old friend of the president's, Christopher Ruddy, to tell him that the president is strongly considering firing Mueller. They authorize Ruddy to share that with the press. And so he does. President Trump prepared to let the special counsel pursue his investigation? Well, I think he's considering um, perhaps terminating uh, the special counsel. I think he's, he's weighing that option. Ruddy's comments led to extensive coverage in the media that the president was considering firing the special counsel. It hasn't even been a month since Robert Mueller was hired. Now a friend of President Trump says he could be fired. The following day, Rosenstein is testifying before Congress. When asked... He says there's no evidence of good cause to fire Mueller. Many news outlets last night and this morning are reporting that President Trump is considering firing special counsel Robert Mueller. You are actually the one exercising hiring and firing authority. And at this point, have you seen any evidence of good cause for firing of special counsel Mueller? No, I have not. For the moment, Trump has no choice but to back down. He tells Deputy Press Secretary Sarah Sanders to say that while he has every right to fire Mueller, he doesn't plan to. I still believe he has the power to fire special counsel Robert Mueller. Does he believe that's within his power? Uh, Certainly believes he has the power to do so. I know a number of individuals uh, in the legal community, uh, and including at the Department of Justice, that he has the power to do so, but I don't have any further announcements on. Trump's reprieve from going after Mueller doesn't last long. Remember how insistent Trump has been about not being under investigation. That isn't true anymore. The next day, June 14, 2017, the Washington Post published an article stating that the special counsel was investigating whether the president had attempted to obstruct justice. They are first to report tonight that special counsel Robert Mueller is not just looking narrowly at the question of whether the Trump campaign was involved with the Russian attack on the presidential election last year, Robert Mueller, according to The Post, is also now investigating, as a related matter, whether the president himself has been involved in an effort to obstruct justice. 
The Post story stated that the special counsel was interviewing intelligence community leaders about what the president had asked them to do in response to Comey's testimony, that the inquiry into obstruction marked, quote, a major turning point in the investigation, and that while Trump had received private assurances from then-FBI director James B. Comey starting in January that he was not personally under investigation, officials say that changed shortly after Comey's firing. Late that evening, the president calls McGahn's cell phone to discuss the story. Trump now knows he's personally under investigation, and he's not happy. NBC has reported that after a report said special counsel Robert Mueller is examining whether the president attempted to obstruct justice, President Donald Trump tweeted on Thursday, you are witnessing the single greatest witch hunt in American political history, led by some very bad and conflicted people. That day, the president issued a series of tweets acknowledging the existence of the obstruction investigation and criticizing it. He wrote, They made up a phony collusion with the Russian story, found zero proof, so now they go for obstruction of justice on the phony story. And Crooked H destroyed phones with hammer, bleached emails, and had husband meet with AG days before she was cleared. And they talk about obstruction? The next day, June 16, 2017, the president wrote additional tweets criticizing the investigation. After seven months of investigations and committee hearings about my collusion with the Russians, nobody has been able to show any proof. Sad. And I am being investigated for firing the FBI director by the man who told me to fire the FBI director. Witch hunt. After a day of rage tweeting, the president is ready to act. On Saturday, he calls McGahn twice at home and directs him to call Rosenstein and say that Mueller's conflicts of interest mean he cannot be special counsel. On Saturday, June 17, 2017, the president called McGahn and directed him to have the special counsel removed. McGahn was at home and the president was at Camp David. In interviews with this office, McGahn recalled that the president called him at home twice and on both occasions directed him to call Rosenstein and say that Mueller had conflicts that precluded him from serving as special counsel. He creates for Mueller's report very dramatic examples of the president trying to use McGahn, his White House counsel, to do the deeds that Trump wants on the investigation, particularly this June incident where Trump says to McGahn that he needs to call Rosenstein and tell him to get rid of Mueller. On the first call, McGahn recalled that the president said something like, you gotta do this, you gotta call Rod. McGahn said he told the president that he would see what he could do. McGahn was perturbed by the call and did not intend to act on the request. He and other advisors believed that the asserted conflicts were silly and not real, and they had previously communicated that view to the president. McGahn also made clear to the president that the White House Counsel's Office should not be involved in any effort to press the issue of conflicts. McGahn won't do it. The president calls McGahn again, and this time he's more direct. The president wants Mueller gone. McGahn recalled that the president was more direct, saying something like, call Rod, tell Rod that Mueller has conflicts and can't be the special counsel. 
McGahn recalled the president telling him, Mueller has to go and call me back when you do it. McGahn understood the president to be saying that the special counsel had to be removed by Rosenstein. To end the conversation with the president, McGahn left the president with the impression that McGahn would call Rosenstein. McGahn doesn't call Rosenstein. He decides he'd rather resign. He calls his personal lawyer and then tells his chief of staff, Annie Donaldson. Donaldson recalled that McGahn told her the president had called and demanded he contact the Department of Justice and that the president wanted him to do something that McGahn did not want to do. McGahn told Donaldson that the president had called at least twice and in one of the calls asked, have you done it? McGahn did not tell Donaldson the specifics of the president's request because he was consciously trying not to involve her in the investigation. But Donaldson inferred that the president's directive was related to the Russia investigation. Here's Bob Bauer again. Don made the judgment that he didn't want to be party to another Saturday night massacre, that, uh, that he, as White House counsel, was not going to see uh, to the discharge of, for reasons that would never stand scrutiny, of a lawfully appointed special counsel. He has a professional reputation to protect. He has an institutional role to protect. And he's not going to do it. McGahn drives to his office to pack his things and submit his resignation letter. He calls Priebus and Bannon to tell them he's quitting. But the pair managed to talk him out of it. Priebus recalled that McGahn said that the president had asked him to do crazy shit. Priebus and Bannon both urged McGahn not to quit, and McGahn ultimately returned to work that Monday and remained in his position. He had not told the president directly that he planned to resign, and when they next saw each other, the president did not ask McGahn whether he had followed through with calling Rosenstein. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One day, he may, maybe he'll write a memoir, maybe he not, um, but one day we'll find out. I suspect he was strongly encouraged both by those who were worried about the president doing, quote, even crazier shit, close quote, with McGahn gone, um, and believing that replacing it would not be easy and that the uproar of his resignation would be extraordinarily damaging. I strongly suspect that he was also encouraged by his supporters in Congress to stay in place. And his job wasn't finished. Here's Schmidt again. It's the unusualness of Trump and you see the antibodies within his own administration forming around him. And in that case, you see McGahn learning how to contain the president and how by listening to him and saying that you may do things and then not doing them, 
you could slow walk him out of these things that would get him into trouble. It's sort of the education of Don McGahn's containment of the president that you see around the Mueller firing. McGahn, despite trying to quit and deciding he'll quit, ending up coming back to work on Monday and never really talking to Trump again about it until many, many months later. And it's a pattern you see not just on the Mueller investigation, but in many different aspects of the president's trade policy or stuff he wants to do with the border, that the folks around him learned how to stop him. When he said things that were outlandish and potentially illegal or certainly politically unsavory, they could put the brakes on it. Mueller evaluates all of this for obstruction of justice. And he returns again to those three elements, obstructive act, nexus to a proceeding, and a corrupt purpose. Is there an obstructive act? As with the president's firing of Comey, the attempt to remove the special counsel would qualify as an obstructive act if it would naturally obstruct the investigation and any grand jury proceedings that might flow from the inquiry. Even if the removal of the lead prosecutor would not prevent the investigation from continuing under a new appointee, a fact finder would need to consider whether the act had the potential to delay further action in the investigation, chill the actions of any replacement special counsel, or otherwise impede the investigation. Mueller says this depends in part on whether Trump really did tell McGahn to get rid of Mueller. When news reports surface about all of this, the president denies it. Trump says he never told McGahn to get rid of Mueller. He just wanted DOJ to know about the conflicts. But Mueller doesn't buy it. Substantial evidence supports the conclusion that the president went further and in fact directed McGahn to call Rosenstein to have the special counsel removed. First, McGahn's clear recollection was that the president directed him to tell Rosenstein not only that conflicts existed, but also that Mueller has to go. McGahn is a credible witness with no motive to lie or exaggerate. In response to the request, McGahn decided to quit because he did not want to participate in events that he described as akin to the Saturday Night Massacre. He called his lawyer, drove to the White House, packed up his office, prepared to submit a resignation letter with his chief of staff, told Priebus that the president had asked him to do crazy shit, and informed Priebus and Bannon that he was leaving. Those acts would be a highly unusual reaction to a request to convey information to the Department of Justice. Besides that, DOJ already knew about those conflicts claims. So Mueller says Trump's explanation doesn't make any sense. And there's more to support McGahn's account. The president's sense of urgency and repeated messages to McGahn to take immediate action on a weekend, you gotta do this, you gotta call Rod, support McGahn's recollection that the president wanted the Department of Justice to take action to remove the special counsel. Had the president instead sought only to have the Department of Justice re-examine asserted conflicts to evaluate whether they posed an ethical bar, it would have been unnecessary to set the process in motion on a Saturday and to make repeated calls to McGahn. So Mueller concludes that it happened the way McGahn describes it, and that it's an act that could impede or impair the investigation. Nexus is easy. 
McGahn has already told Trump he's under investigation. And the president even tweeted, quote, I'm being investigated for firing the FBI director by the man who told me to fire the FBI director. But what about intent? Does Trump have a corrupt purpose? Substantial evidence indicates that the president's attempts to remove the special counsel were linked to the special counsel's oversight of investigations that involved the president's conduct, and most immediately, to reports that the president was being investigated for potential obstruction of justice. The evidence indicates that news of the obstruction investigation prompted the president to call McGahn and seek to have the special counsel removed. And Mueller says that the evidence suggests that Trump wasn't really motivated by concerns about conflicts either. By mid-June, the Department of Justice had already cleared the special counsel's service and the president's advisors had told him that the claimed conflicts of interest were silly. The evidence accordingly indicates that news that an obstruction investigation had been opened is what led the president to call McGahn to have the special counsel terminated. There is also evidence that the president knew that he should not have made those calls to McGahn. Mueller doesn't put it explicitly, but unlike with the Comey firing, here the report says there is substantial evidence that all three elements of obstruction are met. The real issue is whether this is just something the president is allowed to do, and so the obstruction statutes don't really apply. The president has hit a wall in trying to get Mueller fired. Sessions is recused, so he can't do it. And Rosenstein has told Congress there's no cause. And McGahn's made clear he's not going to do it either. The president is stuck with Mueller. And so he begins to pursue a new tact, trying to limit the investigation itself. And if McGahn isn't going to play along, the president turns to someone he can trust, his former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski. You know what I learned when I went on the campaign trail and when I left the campaign? People take liberties all the time uh, and do things that aren't either told to the campaign manager or just think that it's in the best interests of either themselves or the campaign. That happens in every, every organization. Here's Matt Zabatowski. One of the most remarkable episodes in this report is this effort by President Trump to get Corey Lewandowski to deliver a message to Sessions. And the context here is this is after President Trump has tried a number of other ways, both to stop Sessions from recusing and getting him to unrecuse, talking to him directly, getting Don McGahn to deliver a message, um, just a lot of other efforts. When all that has failed, he turns to Corey Lewandowski and he essentially dictates a statement that he wants Corey Lewandowski to give to Sessions. And the upshot of that is um, you should, I guess, unrecuse yourself. You should go to Mueller and you should tell him he can investigate kind of interference in future elections, but he's done investigating me. I mean, the, the message doesn't say that in so many words, but that is the upshot. The president asked Lewandowski to deliver a message to Sessions and said, write this down. This was the first time the president had asked Lewandowski to take dictation, and Lewandowski wrote as fast as possible to make sure he captured the content correctly. The president directed that Sessions should give a speech, publicly announcing, 
I know that I recused myself from certain things having to do with specific areas, but our POTUS is being treated very unfairly. He shouldn't have a special prosecutor slash counsel because he hasn't done anything wrong. I was on the campaign with him for nine months. There were no Russians involved with him. I know it for a fact because I was there. He didn't do anything wrong except he ran the greatest campaign in American history. The dictated message went on to state that Sessions would meet with the special counsel to limit his jurisdiction to future election interference. Now a group of people want to subvert the Constitution of the United States. I am going to meet with the special prosecutor to explain that this is very unfair and let the special prosecutor move forward with investigating election meddling for future elections so that nothing can happen in future elections. Here's Mike Schmidt. Well, Trump is sort of running out of people to turn to to do his bidding. This is in the aftermath of when McGahn has refused to fire Mueller, and the president is sort of fishing around for people that may be vulnerable and willing to do what he wants. And you would think that that if the president was going to be trying to exercise his power or get his political appointees to do something, that he would use folks within the executive branch to do that. But in this case, he's using someone that had never worked for him in government, had never been even a part of his White House, to go out and to get a message to the attorney general. And it's just a highly unusual way of the presidency operating. This isn't the last time the president meets with Lewandowski on the matter. In the days after that first meeting, bombshell stories are dropping in the media about Trump campaign contacts with Russia. The president's eldest son took that meeting at the height of the campaign after he was promised it would yield damaging information about Hillary Clinton, and it's thought to be a key part of the Mueller investigation. Trump summons Lewandowski back to the White House. On July 19, 2017, the president met again with Lewandowski alone in the Oval Office. The president raised his previous request and asked if Lewandowski had talked to Sessions. Lewandowski told the president that the message would be delivered soon. Lewandowski recalled that the president told him that if Sessions did not meet with him, Lewandowski should tell Sessions he was fired. But after the meeting, Lewandowski doesn't do what the president has asked. So Corey Lewandowski, who is one of the president's most loyal advisors, takes this message. He uh, it intends to deliver it to Sessions, so Sessions ends up canceling on him. And then later he decides, well, I'm going to pass this to somebody who's a little closer to Sessions, a guy named Rick Dearborn, um, and see if he'll deliver the message. So Rick Dearborn sees this thing, says, oh, I can't deliver this. He doesn't seem to have a perfect understanding uh, that it came from the president, though he assumes that. But he realizes this is bad news, so he ends up just doing nothing with it. It's sort of remarkable just because the aides don't do it. But it's one of the more remarkable kind of obstructive episodes in this because it shows so many things. It's like a double back channel effort, you know. It also shows that the president is serious about this unrecusal or this curtailing of the Mueller probe. And this is one of the more directly to curtailing the Mueller probe. He's not talking about, you know, Sessions unrecusing and taking over, but Mueller being allowed to continue his work. He's talking about some aspect of Mueller's work being shut down. 
Here's former U.S. attorney Preet Bharara. First of all, Kurt Lewandowski is, at the time, not even in the government. He has no business uh, being involved, not just in, in governmental operations and in personnel decisions, and in an independent investigation um, that he's going to be trying to affect by having a conversation with Jeff Sessions. He has no business doing any of this. The fact that you're deciding to go to someone you think is loyal, sort of as a campaign um, you know, operative, uh, to go and take a message to someone so you're not doing it yourself, right there I think is problematic and worrisome. And then the fact that this campaign operative, who by all accounts is pretty loyal to the President of the United States, even he decides, I ain't doing that, right, is, is kind of funny. Um, and, and there's another person uh, who's involved, in, another um, you know, somebody who did work in the government, Rick Dearborn, and his basic response is, hell no, I ain't doing that either. All of which, by the way, is additional proof of how you know, bad the president's conduct was. You have people who otherwise are, in fact, dead loyal to the president. Quinn Lewandowski, he's a guy who helped Donald Trump get elected. And even he is saying, I'm not doing this. I don't know that there's a right way to shut down an investigation into your campaign, but there's a right way for the president to interact with the Justice Department. Typically, that would be through the White House Counsel's Office and Don McGahn. But the president, it seems clear from the report, had become frustrated that McGahn wasn't doing what he wanted. You know, he had tried way back when to have Don McGahn prevent Sessions from accusing. That just hadn't happened. So now he's got to kind of go outside of official channels to this guy who is like a campaign advisor, but who doesn't have an official White House role. It would be unusual even if he had Don McGahn do this, right? The act itself is unusual. But taking it outside of the White House, in the special counsel's mind, that could be an indication that he knew it was wrong. Pressuring Sessions in private and through intermediaries isn't enough. Trump decides to take his campaign public as well. Trump would relentlessly attack Sessions on Twitter, in public statements, in television interviews. As someone who covered the Justice Department, it just felt like every day there was some new round of attack. Sometimes it would be about Sessions personally. Sometimes it would be about the investigations he wasn't pursuing. Sometimes it would be about the Mueller investigation and how his recusal had kind of let that wreak havoc on the functioning of government. Um, it It was just constant. Shortly after the Lewandowski meeting, President Trump gives an unplanned interview to the New York Times. Sessions gets the job. Right after he gets the job, he recuses himself. Was that a mistake? And he ups the ante on his criticism of Sessions. Well, Sessions should have never recused himself. One of the interviewers at the White House is Mike Schmidt. So my colleagues, Maggie Haberman and Peter Baker and I, went in to see Trump in July of 2017. And this was in the midst of the president's furor over Sessions and when he was trying to rein in Sessions and to get Sessions to do what he wanted on the investigation. And it's in that interview that Trump says on the record that he never would have made Sessions his attorney general if he knew he was going to recuse himself. And if he would, if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job and I would have picked somebody else. He gave you no heads up at all in any sense? Zero. I think it's very unfair to the president. Knowing that there was an obstruction investigation at the time, it certainly was a wow sort of moment because here was Trump sort of transparently laying out 
what he expected in his attorney general, that it was sort of more important for his attorney general to be loyal to him than to the guidelines of the department or the facts of an investigation. And the story created immense headlines for the president that created a huge problem for the White House, but the president didn't seem very bothered by it because he was so upset with Sessions. If you're the attorney general and you're interested in keeping your job, you could see where the president's statements may have some influence on you, where the president's basically saying that you should not have the job that you have because of something you did, and it puts Sessions in an even more vulnerable spot. We now know that there was so much kind of going on in the background with Trump trying to apply pressure to Sessions. Uh, and that was really the moment where it's like, you know, we knew he would be upset over the recusal. But to just air it out publicly, it was amazing to see, wow, this relationship has deteriorated probably past the point of saving. It was especially remarkable because Sessions in every other topic was essentially going and dutifully implementing what the president wanted in sometimes controversial ways. Um, you know, he was the person who kind of signed on to zero tolerance um, prosecution policy for um, those in the country illegally. Uh, you know, a number of, you know, walking back various civil rights endeavors at the Justice Department. All the things President Trump wanted, he was doing, but the recusal had so damaged their relationship that he was just willing to smoke him publicly. Trump calls Hope Hicks to say he's happy with the coverage of his interview criticizing Sessions. Mueller says Trump's intention is clear enough. The evidence could raise an inference that the president wanted Sessions to realize that his job might be on the line as he evaluated whether to comply with the president's direction that Sessions publicly announced that notwithstanding his recusal, he was going to confine the special counsel's investigation to future election interference. Another opportunity to get rid of Sessions pops up a few days later and the president tries to take advantage of it. Three days after the president's second meeting with Lewandowski on July 21, 2017, the Washington Post reported that U.S. intelligence intercepts showed that Sessions had discussed campaign-related matters with the Russian ambassador, contrary to what Sessions had said publicly. That evening, Priebus called Hunt to talk about whether Sessions might be fired or might resign. But Sessions isn't feeling as cooperative as he had back in May when he gave the president that first resignation letter. On July 22nd, he sends word through his chief of staff. If the president wants to get rid of Sessions, he has to fire him. The attorney general refuses to quit. The following morning, Trump takes to Twitter to go after Sessions. Early the following morning, July 22nd, 2017, the president tweeted, a new intelligence leak from the Amazon Washington Post, this time against A.G. Jeff Sessions. These illegal leaks, like Comey's, must stop. Approximately one hour later, the president tweeted, So many people are asking why isn't the A.G. or special counsel looking at the many Hillary Clinton or Comey crimes? 33,000 emails deleted? Later that morning, Trump tells Priebus that he needs to get Sessions to resign immediately. But rather than call the attorney general, Priebus calls McGahn. 
Priebus believed that the president's desire to replace Sessions was Sessions's recusal from the Russia investigation. McGahn told Priebus not to follow the president's order and said they should consult their personal counsel with whom they had attorney-client privilege. McGahn and Priebus discussed the possibility that they would both have to resign rather than carry out the president's order to fire Sessions. Eventually, Priebus is able to convince the president that if he forces Sessions to resign, the deputy and associate attorneys general will follow. And he says the president will never be able to get anyone else confirmed. Trump relents, but he doesn't stop tweeting insults at Sessions. So why aren't the committees and investigators and, of course, our beleaguered AG looking into crooked Hillary's crimes and Russia relations? I want the attorney general to be much tougher on the leaks from intelligence agencies, which are leaking like rarely have they ever leaked before at a very important level. Uh, I told you before I'm very disappointed with the attorney general. But we will see what happens. Time will tell. According to Hunt, in light of the president's frequent public attacks, Sessions prepared another resignation letter and for the rest of the year carried it with him in his pocket every time he went to the White House. Well, Sessions sort of survives and finds a way to sort of muddle along until after the 2018 midterms. Sessions stays on as attorney general and becomes... Certainly not an afterthought for Trump, but Trump sort of moves his ire towards Mueller and calling it a witch hunt and calling his prosecutors angry Democrats. Mueller evaluates whether Trump's order that Lewandowski tell Sessions to limit the investigation is obstruction. And Mueller makes clear that the context of Trump's ongoing public attacks on Sessions are relevant as well. The president is doing all this out loud in front of everyone. And Bob Mueller in the report specifically addresses this. You know, if, if, as a lot of commentators have said, if he had been doing many of these things behind closed doors, and some of the stuff related in the report is that, a lot of it isn't. But if he'd been doing all the stuff behind closed doors and was trying to hide it, I think the average person would be more likely to understand that it has a negative effect on the administration of justice, that, that it maybe is obstruction. And as Bob Mueller points out in the report, if, if the actions and the words of a, of a president or anyone else made publicly would tend to have the effect of causing people to be afraid of testifying or be afraid of retaliation for testifying and decide to change their testimony in the face of those comments, whether they're public or not, doesn't change the legal analysis at all. The president's effort to send Sessions a message through Lewandowski would qualify as an obstructive act if it would naturally obstruct the investigation and any grand jury proceedings that might flow from the inquiry. Taken together, the president's directives indicate that Sessions was being instructed to tell the special counsel to end the existing investigation into the president and his campaign, with the special counsel being permitted to move forward with investigating election meddling for future elections. So there is an obstructive act. And we've already talked about Trump knowing there's an ongoing investigation. So what about intent? Substantial evidence indicates that the president's efforts to have Sessions limit the scope of the special counsel's investigation to future election interference was intended to prevent further investigative scrutiny of the president's and his campaign's conduct. The timing and circumstances of the president's actions support the conclusion that he sought to exclude his and his campaign's conduct from the investigation's scope. 
And to Mueller, the fact that Trump went through Lewandowski is also evidence of improper intent. Rather than rely on official channels, the president met with Lewandowski alone in the Oval Office. The president selected a loyal devotee outside the White House to deliver the message, supporting an inference that he was working outside White House channels, including McGahn, who had previously resisted contacting the Department of Justice about the special counsel. Paul Rosenzweig, former counsel to the independent prosecutor in the Starr investigation, notes that Trump going outside the normal channels is legally significant. Even if you accept that piece of Trump's argument that some of his Article II activity can't be charged as criminal conduct because it's within the bounds, there's certainly a number of instances in the Mueller report that involve the president doing acts which were clearly outside the bounds of anybody's conception of what the Article II power is. Uh, For example, Asking a non-federal employee, right, um, Corey Lewandowski, to carry a message to the Department of Justice about the investigation and to try and get Lewandowski to convince Sessions to unrecuse and get back in and, and stop the investigation. Um, the president is not exercising his Article II powers when he talks to somebody who isn't within his chain of command. The episodes described here are some of the clearest evidence of obstruction of justice in the report. Mueller analyzes Trump's efforts to fire Mueller or have him disqualified from overseeing the investigation and the president's attempts to get Lewandowski to send a message to Sessions to limit the investigation. And Mueller's analysis checks the boxes of all three elements. He says there's substantial evidence of an obstructive act, of nexus, and of corrupt purpose. But he doesn't go any further. He doesn't say whether or not Trump has obstructed justice. He just lays out the dots for anyone who wants to connect them. Trump isn't done with Sessions yet either, and the story keeps spiraling out of control. The press is getting wind of that June 9, 2016 meeting at Trump Tower, where Kushner and Manafort and Donald Trump Jr met with Russians offering dirt on Hillary Clinton. And they're closing in on his efforts to fire Mueller, too. So the president tries to cover it up. President Trump now admits for the first time that his son's 2016 Trump Tower meeting with a Russian lawyer was designed to get dirt on Hillary Clinton. Sources tell CNN the president is growing concerned about Don Jr.'s legal exposure for his involvement in that meeting. The president's lawyer is now changing his story. Attorney Jay Sekulow says he made a mistake last year when he said that President Trump was not involved in crafting a misleading statement on the Trump Tower meeting. Sekulow blames the false statements on what he calls bad information. The question is, bad information from whom? That's next time on The Report. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and the Democracy Fund, and by listeners like you. To support this project, please go to lawfareblog.com. The report is a production of Lawfare and Goat Rodeo in Washington, D.C. Ian Enright is the executive producer. Production assistance from Shar Dreyer. From the Lawfare team, the project is led by executive editor Susan Hennessy. 
Editor-in-Chief is Benjamin Wittes. Interviews conducted by Managing Editor Quinta Jurassic. Recordings by Michaela Fogel and Jacob Schultz. Additional assistance by Margaret Taylor and Gordon All. Special thanks to Matt Zapatowski, Mike Schmidt, John Barrett, Bob Bauer, Preet Bharara, Paul Rosenzweig, and you, the listening audience. To support this show, please share this podcast wherever you can. And while you're at it, please subscribe and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Our website, lawfareblog.com, is where you can learn more about Lawfare, read our work, and support our mission. Until next time. You're listening to Goat Rodeo. Keep an ear out for us. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.